the near tragedy of partial obedience, Genesis chapter 12. Let me share with you this morning that all the contrary to what you may hear today as you listen to, listen to televangelists and many Christians, happiness, joy, faith, excitement are not the key words of Christianity. I know it's wonderful to have exciting things happen, but that's not the basic word of Christianity. I know it's wonderful to have a lot of faith, but that's not the key word of Christianity. The key word of Christianity is that one word that I've already stated, obedience. The word of God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I wish I could emphasize this enough. You see, the problem is in many of our homes today, that word is not understood. That's evident by what's taking place in many of our classrooms today and the frustration that our, our school teachers and our police officers and those who are in authority are experiencing. Young people today, many of them do not comprehend the meaning of obedience. The only thing they comprehend is I want to do my own thing and get out of my way so I can do it. This has translated or worked its way over into many Christians' mental uh, perspective. Well, I believe in Jesus, but don't crowd me. Don't make me do something I don't want to do. Don't push me. Don't try to put me in a corner. Don't lay something on me. That's too heavy. I won't accept that. But I want to say again, the key basic word of genuine biblical Christianity is obedience. When Saul was king of Israel, God made a very clear statement to Saul what he was supposed to do through Samuel. He said, you go and when you conquer this enemy, I want you to destroy everything and everyone, all the animals, all the people, just annihilate them completely. And then I'll come and meet you and we'll make a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, many of you know that Saul got his job done and when, he, when Samuel didn't get there when he was supposed to, and it must have been a divine delay, the true nature of Saul came out. Saul was more concerned about what the others around him thought about than what God thought about him. He was more concerned what the others around him would say to him than rather than what God would say. And so when Samuel didn't come when he was supposed to, Saul stepped into the place not only of king but of priest and offered a sacrifice to God. And when Samuel came, he said, Glory to God, I want you to know, hallelujah, praise the Lord. All the things that you had told us to do, that's what we've done. Samuel says, oh, really? Yes, yes. And we, we conquered the enemy, and we really had victory, and I just offered to the Lord an offering of praise. And Lord, because you didn't get here on time, but we went ahead with the program without you. How many of you know a lot of people are willing to go ahead of God in doing what God tells us to do, not wait on him? Samuel says, you did everything the Lord told you to do? Yes. He said, well, I wonder what that lowing is I hear. What is that noise I'm hearing in the back? Oh, 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 well, <laughs> uh, we really got thinking about it. They had some choice animals there, and rather than slay all those animals, we thought we would keep some to make an offering to the Lord. Now, his intentions were good, but he missed the whole principle of serving God, and that is, it doesn't make any difference what we think. It's important that we know what God says and obey it. What did the prophet say to him? He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't need our sacrifices. He needs our obedience. And of course, he stepped over and offered a sacrifice that he had no right to offer. And Samuel said, God has cut you off from, the, from your uh, kingdom. 
And when he turned to walk away, Saul reached out and grabbed his garment, and as, as he did so, the garment tore. And Samuel looked around at him and said, Just as this garment is torn, your kingdom has been torn away from you. Why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. Paul the Apostle said in Romans, the sixth chapter, where he talks about what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how can they, you that are dead to sin live any longer then? And don't you know that as many as you are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Well, you go on down through that chapter, you come to the 16th verse, and he says, to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you become. The implication is we're either the servant of the enemy or we're the servant of God, and whichever one we obey, that's whose servant we are. We can say, well, we're God's servant, but we're going to do it our way. The moment we do it our way, we're the enemy's servant because God only has one way to do things and that's his way may I say that again God only has one way to do things and that's his way someone used to say in the army there are two ways to do things the army way and the wrong way and if nothing else the army taught young men how to take orders it wasn't well sir I think sir they say we didn't ask you in the army to think we ask you in the army to obey and do what we tell you to do and if everybody will do what they're supposed to do we'll win and God says I called you into my army and I want you to know if I give the command I am the commander in chief of the army and every other word is superfluous if you haven't understood that first word obey and this is love that you keep my commandments that you obey me now, I want to get that down good and solid in your heart this morning to let you know that contrary to whatever excuses men have today to do something contrary to what the Word of God says, they're wrong. Secondly, they're in disobedience to God. Thirdly, sooner or later they will reap what they have sown and the harvest will come in because of their disobedience. The basic word of Christianity is obedience. Now, first of all, the purpose of our redemption is summed up in our total obedience to God. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to obey him. So our purpose is, look at, look at 1 Peter 1.7 with me. 1 Peter 1.7. You'll see what I'm saying. 1 Peter, the first chapter, and the seventh verse. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean the second verse, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 1.2. Let me read verse 1 with it. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, elect, or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the, whole, of the Spirit unto what? Unto obedience. Let me say that again and leave out that one phrase. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God unto obedience. God chose us unto obedience. The very purpose for which he called us was to bring us into obedience to his word. Now I hope that I can impress you enough this morning that you'll realize that nothing else matters, whether it feels good, whether it sounds good, whether it's popular, whether it's exciting, it doesn't make any difference. It's just required that a steward be found faithful and obedient to the rules of the Lord. Secondly, obedience is the pathway to our experience of God. John, the seventh chapter. John chapter 7. Will you look at it with me? Obedience is the pathway to our experience of God. 
Jesus said in John 7, 17, if any man will, what? Do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. The only way you and I will know the nature of God, know the plan of God, know the purpose of God, know the calling of God, know the end of God for our lives is to walk in obedience. Whenever there's one who calls themselves a Christian who begins to walk in disobedience, God stops working in their lives until they'll come to the place where they will again obey and then they'll go on. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, an old Bible scholar was there teaching one day and he said, you know, if you're anything like me, when you go hunting, you can take a hunting dog with you. Every coon dog I've ever had, when I'd just about get to find a coon, a rabbit would cross his path and he'd take off after that rabbit. And I'd hear him howling and barking all through the woods in circles, running around chasing that rabbit. And pretty soon he would sit down and realize he was lost. He'd sit there and howl until I'd come and get him and bring him back. Now he said, you know, all I would do is go and get him and bring him right back where he'd left off on the trail for the coon and we'd take off again. About time we'd just about get close to the coon, another rabbit would come across and he'd take off after that rabbit again. And he said, that's just the way a lot of Christians are. And he said, if you want to find the tr where you are with God again, you've got to come right back to where you left the trail, and that's where you'll find him again. You won't find him over there sitting there howling. Obedience is the pathway to our experience with God. When we step into obedience, God begins to minister to us again. God begins to teach us more. He won't give us more until we are able to receive and obey what he's given us already. You know, there are a lot of people today that are running from church to church saying, oh, teach me some new wonderful theology. And I want to tell you something right now. God isn't too interested in you getting a bunch of new theology until you begin to walk out the theology you already know. You see, my problem is not learning more theology. My problem is really trying to operate and function in the truth that I already know. How many of you know it's not easy to even just walk out the truth we have, let alone get a bunch of uh, another load dumped on top of us? I have a friend of mine that comes to Florida every winter, <clears throat> and he comes to my house, and he says... Take it easy this time, will you? He says, I've been trying to walk out everything you dumped on me last time I was here. <laughs> and I know what, what he's talking He's so conscientious, if I tell him something, it'll eat him up until he can get the thing straightened out. And I thought, you know, I would to God that everybody were that sensitive to what the Word of God says. He says, I don't need anything new this year, Brother Joe. He said, let's just talk about some of the things we've already talked about and see how we can apply that. Obedience is the pathway to our experience of God. Thirdly, obedience is the proof of our devotion to God. Now, I've said three things. It's the purpose of our redemption, it's the pathway of our experience, and it's obedience is the proof of our devotion to God. There's no way around it. How many of you know that if your child is constantly disobedient and then comes in and says, love you, Dad, love you, Mom, you say, well, that's nice, that's nice. Go do this. No, I'd like you to, no, I'm not interested. Bug off, don't get on my back. But I love you, Mom and Dad. How many of you after a while begin to say, you know, there's just something that doesn't ring true here? And there are many people who week after week, month after month, year after year, will raise their hand and say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. And then God says, I want you to do No, I'm too busy. No, I can't do that. No, I'm just not in. No, that's not, no, that's not a part of me. No, uh-uh. How many of you know that they're either a liar or they're ignorant to say that they love God and disobey Him? The Word of God says, Obedience is the proof of our devotion. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now, I need to get this established before I teach you the teaching I want to bring to you. 
1 John 2, 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a what? Liar, and the truth is not in him. Brother Webb, you call me a liar? No, God's word says we're liars if we say we love him and don't keep his commandments. You can get as mad as me, you can get as mad as you want to at me, but you better not get mad at God's word because that's eternally settled in the heavens and that's what we're going to be judged by. Obedience is the proof of our devotion to God. <clears throat> if God's word says this is what you ought to be doing, and you say, well, I'm not going to receive that. Now, I know that I get up and down on this a lot, but I'm just going to share it with you with other, not, not, not our church, so I'm not applying it to you at all. But let me tell you something. I thank God for the faithfulness of the vast majority of this body when it comes to tithing and witnessing and working and helping out in the church here and ministering here. It's great. But there are many, many people today who say, oh, I just love the Lord and I want to give the Lord everything, but they do not know what it is to submit to spiritual authority. They'll just get all excited in the church and they'll come up to a certain place and somebody in leadership will say, wait a minute, you can't do that here. Why not? Well, because that is not the way we're functioning. That is not what God's called us to do. Well, then I'm going, and they just begin to tear the church apart and then they'll leave that church and go to another church. Oh, this is a wonderful church. And they begin to, they'll come to a certain level of obedience, and then when they come and bump against the wall of obedience, of authority, I mean, they'll rebel against that thing and go again. I want to tell you something. There is a deep-seated spiritual problem there that needs to be dealt with because obedience is the proof of our devotion to God. Obedience to God and obedience to those that God has placed in a place of authority to do the work of the kingdom of God. And there are many people today that, let, let me just share this with you. There are many people who think that any authority is control and manipulation. Do I need to say that again? There are some people who, who perceive that any authority, spiritual authority and responsibility, is control and manipulation. How many of you know that if a school teacher is given the responsibility to teach children, that school teacher ought to also be given the authority to tell those children what they must do and what they must not do. And if they don't do it, they have a backup system to where the principal and the superintendent and right on down the line, the parents right on down the line, would back up and reinforce their authority. And the minute the teacher says, we're not going to have any talking in this classless study, somebody stands up and says, that's just plain control. That's manipulation. Who do you think you are anyway? Well, I am a position in a position of responsibility and authority. I'm supposed to teach you, and if I have to teach you, I must have some authority. You're not going to have any authority over me. That's control. That's manipulation. That's not going to work. I want to tell you something. That's rebellion in its grossest form. If we're submitted to God, the Scripture says we should also submit to one another. It also says submit to those that have the spiritual authority over you as those that must answer for your soul. I did not write those verses. Other pastors do not write those verses. They just sense the responsibility that God's put on their shoulders and try to accomplish that purpose. Obedience is the proof of our devotion to God. Now, I want to test these three things that I just shared with you in the life of a certain individual that was of tremendous interest to me, and I've never gotten away from this message. I've probably referred to it different times, but the life of Abraham in Genesis, the 12th chapter. In the life of Abraham, I want to test these truths because he was called the giant of faith. And as he got started, he had a fumbling start when he got started in his calling of God's calling in his life. He came out of it okay. But it's interesting how God dealt with him because he was not obedient all the way through. When he got started, it was nearly a tragedy, in fact. Genesis, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, 
And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, first of all, let me tell you that this was a revelation from God that was plain. You think there's any reason why Abraham should have stumbled over what God was telling him to do here? There's no hidden words. There's no hidden meanings. There are a lot of people that will read something. You read them something and they'll say, well, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? Well, it has this ethereal, this secret little private meaning. No, it doesn't. It means exactly what it says. If God says, he that believeth on the Son hath life, and he that believeth not shall see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him, that's exactly what he means. I've had some people always tell me, well, no, you can't really apply that literally. I say, why not? When I was a boy, my daddy used to say to me, son, you do that again, and I'll put such your pants on fire. Well, I knew he wasn't going to take a cigarette lighter, but I knew exactly what he meant. He didn't mean he was going to hang a candle on it. He meant he was going to hang a strap across the tail of it, and I'd feel like my pants were on fire. But I got the exact illustration of what he was trying to say. And I, what I'm trying to say to you is God didn't give some hidden secret thing to Abraham here. His revelation to him was absolutely plain. First of all, it made the person of God very real to him. How many of you know that if God, through the presence of an angel or, or uh, through some angelic being, came down right in front of you and spoke to you, that it would probably change your conduct somewhat? All through the scripture, every time an angel came upon a man or a woman of God, they were suddenly, I mean, just had the slack jerked out of their conversation. I mean, how many of you remember Mary? When the angel came to her and said, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Then he goes on to explain to her that she's going to have a child. She says, How can this be? I've never known a man. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive. That changed her whole life from that day on. How about Peter when he was in prison? He thought he was a dead man. And at midnight, he would pray. Uh, in one case, midnight, they were praising God. And this time, he was between two guards, chained hand and foot and asleep and the angel had to come on and smack him on the hip and wake him up and the chains dropped off and the angel walked ahead of him and all the doors of the prison opened up ahead of him and went out into the street and the angel disappeared I want to tell you something Peter was probably never the same again after that I don't believe that Abraham was ever the same again after God appeared to him God came to him and said something direct communication to him Look over in Acts, keep your finger here, but look over in Acts, the seventh chapter, and uh, uh, Stephen elaborates on this. Acts chapter 7 and verse 12. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. Acts 7, 2. And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt at Sharon. He said the God of glory appeared to father Abraham. Now, <clears throat> this appearance became the catalyst for Abraham's faith. Now, we call him the father of faith. He grabbed a hold of what God had to say to him in this th first three verses and it transformed his life. By the way, this is the beginning of a new dispensation of about 420 years that started here and ended, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> at the introduction of the law to the children of Israel when we went to a period of, from a period of promise to a period of law in the Old Testament. But this, this was the catalyst for his faith. 
And I want to say to you that all faith and all obedience starts right here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And until the Holy Spirit convicts you and convinces you and me that God is real, that God is a reality, you and I will never do anything of value or anything significant for the kingdom of God. Unless you know that the job or the calling or the work that you're doing is based upon an, a, 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 a revelation from God to you. God has spoken to my heart. God has placed this on my heart. God has given me this message. God has given me this word. God has given me this burden. And by the way, he's going to give every one of us probably different degrees of burden for different ministries. Thank God. Can you imagine if all of us were toes? We couldn't even stand one another because of the smell, first of all. But secondly, we would be totally dysfunctional. We couldn't do anything if all of us were toes. But some are eyes, some are ears, some are hands, some are feet, some are arms, some are legs. But when God comes to you and shows you that he's given you certain gifts and talents and you can use them right here, that's the beginning of a catalyst to service, uh, of service to Jesus Christ. Abraham had this catalyst hit him right in this very place. The songwriter said to know him is to love him, to love him is to serve him. And the more you know him, and the more you're convinced that he's spoken to your heart and impressed your heart with something that he wants you to do, the more willingly you'll obey him. Now, you know, a lot of times the reason we're not able to find out what God wants us to do is because we're not willing to get quiet enough before him and find out what his will really is for our lives. May I encourage you? If you just feel like you're just kind of floundering out around there, why don't you get quiet before the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me like you did Abraham. Now, I, maybe all you want me to do is sweep sidewalks. Maybe all you want me to do is clean out the ditches. Maybe all you want me to do is wash windows. Maybe all you want me to do is just shake people's hands and be friendly or, or whatever. Whatever it is, if you'll just show me, I'll do it as unto you completely. First of all, it made the person of God real to him. And secondly, the requirements of God's plan were revealed to him also. The requirements, Genesis 12, 1. Here were the requirements. Number one, get thee out of thy country. Number two, and from thy kindred. Number three, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Was that foggy? Was that unclear? Was that uncertain? Was there any chance for him to misunderstand? You say to your children, I want you to go in your room, pick up all the stuff on the floor and put it away. Then I want you to make your bed. And they'll go into the room to pick up everything off the floor. But they'll forget about making their bed. They didn't, didn't remember that, see. It isn't that it wasn't clear, it's just that they weren't listening. But this was very, very clear. Again, let me say, it's not the unclear things that we have to worry about. Some people say, well, I'm not sure about that. No, don't worry about that right now. Worry about what you really are, what's really clear, what you really know. Get that settled down in your heart. And when you do that, God then can begin to open up other areas to you. Get clear on the clear, and the unclear will take care of themselves and wait on them. And uh, the third thing here is the range of God's purpose for Abraham. This is interesting. Not only did he give him the requirements of God's plan revealed, but the range of God's purpose for him. What was it? Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. Number one, and I will make of thee a great nation, 
and I will bless thee, number two. And number three, I will make thy name great. And number four, and thou shalt be a blessing. Number five, and I will bless them that bless thee. And number six, and curse them that curseth thee. And number seven, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow. Incredible promises to Abraham if he will do what? Get out of thy country, get away from your kindred, get out of your father's house into a land that I'll show thee. If you'll just do that, these are all the things that I'll do for you. Seven things, complete number of seven. And by the way, God is, has been working out and is still working out these promises to the children of Israel because of Abraham. And we're, we know that God's going to be blessing Israel in the days ahead, and God's, eventually Israel as a nation is going to be saved in one day. God is going to fulfill His promise to Abraham because He made a blood covenant with Abraham, which means it cannot be broken unless the party dies. And God's not going to die. Have any of you really considered the range of God's purpose through your life? Now, we know that he gave, told Abraham if he'd be obedient in this, then God would do this for him. Well, God has called you and me to himself. He did not do that just to bring us to himself. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your soul. But he didn't say, then get yourself a palm tree and a fishing pole and sit down under it and wait till I come back. He says, now you've come, now go into all the world and preach the gospel. But all of us can't go all over the world, but we've got to find out what part of the world God wants us to go and what kind of ministry he wants us to have in that. What's the range of our calling? Please don't think that God has brought you here just to keep the pews polished each week. He's got you here to teach you and show you and bring to light in you his purpose for your life. God has a wonderful purpose for your life. He wants to do things through the, you that you and I can't even imagine yet. What's his range for you if you're a teacher? How does he want you to use that gift he's given you to, ma to, to make God real to those around about you? Some of you have a, a, a real desire to pray. What's God's range for you? How can God use you? How will it affect those around about you and generations to come if he's put that burden on your heart to pray? Do you know that more revivals have come when shut-ins have been concerned about their nation, the condition of their nation, than any other way that I know of? They have gone to prayer and have prayed Well, they couldn't do anything else. They lay there in bed and pray and pray and pray and pray. And I still remember, I believe it was over in England, uh, when there was a mighty move of God over in England, the evangelist went over there and one lady who had been praying for 23 years on her invalid bed asked if they could bring that evangelist to the house. And when he came in and walked in, she looked up and she said, thank you, Father, this is the man that you told me would come. This is the man. And God gave a mighty revival in England because that woman for 23 years prayed. Now, some people say, oh, that evangelist came and we had a mighty revival. But God says, no, I saw in my book someone had been asking for it for 23 years, so I just thought I'd send someone to fulfill her prayers. What's the range that God has told you he would give to you if you would obey him in that area where he's given you ability or gifts? In the area of giving. There's some people that can't give very much. God doesn't look at the amount. God looks at the spirit and the heart and the attitude with which we give. There are some people who will be able to dump thousands and thousands of dollars into the work. I, I listened the other day to, to one of the telephones on television. 
And I, I just sat there shaking my head in amazement as they said $60,000, $70,000, $200,000, $17,000, I thought, dear God, there's no shortage of money. But you know who Jesus noticed? The widow that dropped the last two mites she had in the box. If God has given you a motivational gift of giving, you must never be concerned about the amount. You must say, God, just let me fulfill the full range of ministry you've given to me in this area of giving that you've given to me, this desire you've given to me. Some of us give out of obedience to the Lord, but there's others that God gives them the ability to earn money and to give money above and beyond. And they have to find out what God's range for them will be. If you'll do this, this, and this, I'll do all these things for you. How about in writing? Some people have the ability to write. Others are forced to write. But uh, uh, some have the ability to write and to uh, express themselves. Uh, I get letters from time to time that I just sit back and say, I would to God I could express myself this way. I wish I had this ability just to, I mean, you can say, there they are. They're right there on the paper. I write something, and first of all, a person has to have a gift of interpretation to be able to even read what I've written. But, but I, I, I just try to get something out, and whenever I get done, I'll, I'll take it to about 15 people and say, well, you rewrite this and punctuate this and straighten it all out. I, these are what's on my heart. But you see, but then God gives these other people gifts of helps to minister to those that have an, a, a burden on their heart. And if God's given you an ability to write or to express yourself that way, what's the range of it? We had a widow lady in our church in Englewood, Colorado, that for three years, and I've told this story before, but it, it's so important here. For three years, that sat around crying with her shades pulled down because her husband had died, and she was mourning for three years when I got there. And I said, dear, dear sister, God doesn't make mistakes. He's left you here for a purpose, and this isn't it. And I noticed some writing she did. I said, did you write this? She said, yes. I said, you've got a beautiful hand. Why don't you ask God to open the door for you to write and have a ministry to write to people? Well, what would it possibly be? I said, I don't know, but you ask God and find out. Well, I didn't get there for about a month or six weeks again before I got back because we had 150 widows in that church. But I came back and all the shades were up. Christian music was playing in the house. It was all light inside. And she was just going around the house singing. And I said, what? oh, Brother Joe, she says, you can't believe the blessings that God's given me. I said, what's going on here? She says, I went to the newspaper and the Lord told me to look in the birth announcements. And I saw all these babies that were being born in Orlando. And I sat down and started writing little notes to each one of them and put gospel tracts in them writing to the mothers, congratulating them for the baby being born and telling them how they needed to raise the children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And she says, I'm getting letters back. I'm getting uh, notes back saying that they've accepted the Lord and others that they, to be praying for their children. And that woman was so busy, the women's missionary group had to start giving her money for stamps and letters, uh, paper, to send out to these people. And Now, you see, God had given her that gift many years before, but she finally said, Lord, what can I do with what you've given me? And God said, if you'll do this, I'll do that. How about your testimony? You know, some people forget. And by the way, one of these days, very soon now, I'm going to start coming around to some of you and saying, you know, next Sunday night, I want you to give about five to ten minutes a personal testimony of when you were saved, your background, when you were saved, and what the Lord's doing in your life right now. Now, none of you are going to be exempt. Why? Because the Word says we should be ready to give a, give a word for the hope that li reason for the hope that lieth within us at a moment's notice. And you know, there's some people here that I don't even know when, where, and how you got saved, but I know you are saved. And that's the way we'll get to know each other, know each other's backgrounds a little bit more, know each other's motivations and so forth.
But you know, a lot of times we fail to realize that we have a testimony. I remember my son Jeff used to say, Dad, sometimes I almost wonder if I shouldn't have gone out into sin so that God could have saved me out of that sin and I'd have this big testimony. I said, son, your testimony is much stronger than theirs. What they're saying, I have fallen down and now I'm realizing the grace of God. I said, you realize the grace of God from the time you're a child on. He kept you. He didn't have to redeem you. He kept you. You never got off into deep sin. There's some people that have gone through it. I mean, I, I have to tell people that I came out of a background where if the dog had a tail in his neighborhood, or a cat had a tail in our neighborhood, it was a tourist going through. I mean, we fought and stole and, and just did everything wrong. And I don't say that to brag. I just say it's the grace and mercy of God. I don't understand why he was so merciful. But you and I need to be able to develop a testimony so we can share with others and give them a reason for the hope that lieth within us because that's why God has saved us to be his ambassadors, to be declarers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful for you to sit there and say, well, praise the Lord, amen, thank you, Lord, for saving me. But it's more important that you share with others what he means to you. And when you do, then God can begin to have a greater range of blessings for you. And then just the area of faithfulness. Let me tell you, a lot of these other things are wonderful. But one of the most important things that I find in God's word when it comes to obedience, is to find people who are faithful. Thank God for the faithfulness of the people in this body. Now, we've gone through a lot of blows. I mean, this little body has many times felt like it's been run over by a Mack truck, and you'd seem like you never know which direction that truck's coming from when it hits us. And we get up and say, did anybody get the license number of that truck? Well, no, but it's too late because they're already gone. But what I still see is we're not, we don't get our eyes on those things. We get our eyes on God's faithfulness in our lives. And the fact that it doesn't make any difference what people say or what people do, we're going to continue to be faithful to the Lord and He'll honor us for our faithfulness. He said if you'll be faithful, He'll bless you. Faithfulness means, if one is faithful, it means it's one who can be depended upon always. How many of you know it's never very comfortable to be around a person where you never know where they're going to come from the next time you see them? One time they come around and you say, what are you doing way up there? Oh, glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Next time you trip over them, what are you doing down there? Well, <laughs> But faithfulness means you can depend on them. Now, I want to tell you something. There's some people that can be up here and down here, but you can always depend on them anyway, and they're just learning how to find out where that medium is. It doesn't mean you can't ever do this. What I'm saying is, at least you know when you meet them, the joy of the Lord is still there. I know circumstances are going in every direction but the right direction right now, but that really doesn't make I Yes, I'm, I'm really hurting right now, but thank God I still have the joy and peace of the Lord in my heart. How can I help? That's faithfulness. These are areas that God wants to find out what, to what degree and what range He can bless us. He says, if you're faithful over a little, I'll make you what? Faithful over much. You see, he does not give more to those who do not do faithfully those little things that he gives to them. He, Paul the apostle said to Timothy, when you want to find leadership, give them little jobs. Give them job after job after job and see how they do it. Now, if God says that, Paul said that to Timothy, he must have gotten that from the, the Holy Spirit. That's how God deals with men. God looks for faithful men and women. Faithfulness and obedience are so important in the kingdom of God. Look at John, the seventh chapter with me. John chapter 7. 
verses 38 and 39. God loves to take nobodies and make them to be a blessing to everybody around. He likes to take the foolish things of this world and confound the wise. He likes to take those of no stature whatsoever and bring them before kings. But I'll tell you, unless we're faithful down here when we're a nobody, God can never trust us to bring us up here so we wouldn't come before kings. John 7, 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he what? Of the Spirit. He said that if you believe on him, he's going to put a source inside of you. Remember another place he poured out the water and he said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and I'll give him water to drink wherein he'll never thirst again. And he is speaking of the Holy Spirit again. He's saying, I'm going to put a living water in you and if you'll just use me and let me use you and be obedient to me and faithful to me, I'll make that range very wide to where everywhere you go, water, the Holy Spirit will flow out of you to other people. Now let me tell you, we can't quench nor grieve the Holy Spirit and expect that to happen. It's when we obey the Holy Spirit, when we do what God tells us to do, that that will flow out of us to others, and then we'll be a blessing to others and minister to others. I'm going to have to, and I, I'm only on point one of point four here, but you, I, I don't want any of you, please don't miss this, the steps of progressive steps that took place here in Abraham's life. It's so important for us to understand how God had to straighten up Abraham and what he almost lost because he wasn't obedient in, to the total degree that God requires us to be obedient. It seems like such an insignificant thing, but it isn't. There's no insignificant disobedience in God's sight. Father, I ask this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will speak to each heart this morning and have us to ask you, is there any area, even the slightest area of disobedience where I've set my eyes on people or circumstances or materials and taken them off of you and that we'll repent this morning and ask for your forgiveness. I ask, Father, that we'll begin to realize that you said you wanted to bless us, that you wanted us to have an impact and an outreach above and beyond anything we can even imagine. I, I don't think that Abraham had any comprehension of the range of blessings that you had shared with him. Our minds just can't comprehend the eternal purposes of God. When we think of the different ministries that started with a little tiny seed, but there was obedience involved, and how you caused them to have a worldwide impact. Father, I pray this morning that we'll take ourselves out of the area of negativism, despondency and discouragement and unbelief and doubt, and say, Lord, whatever talent, whatever gift you've given me, Without reservation, I want to be obedient to you. I want to be submitted. I want to do those things that you tell me in the word to do because I do want to know your blessings and your provisions in my life every single day. Father, I know the enemy would cause some to say, well, it's just never worked. But we know that we're not to stop because it doesn't look like it's working. We're to do it because you told us to do it and leave the time element up to you. I pray, Father, this morning that you will reveal by the power of the Holy Spirit the talents and gifts that you've given each one of us. 
and that we'll be able to hold them up to you and say, Lord, anywhere, at any time, at any cost, I'm available. I know, Lord, that if we're not obedient, then the blessings stop. I pray that none of the blessings will stop in our lives, that we'll be everything that you want us to be. Minister to our hearts this morning, I pray. As the proof of our love and devotion to you, help us to be those obedient Christians who really expect you to pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. All of God's people said,